Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome to episode 44 of the show. Let's be honest, last episode, 43, James Neidler and I were geeking out on each other so much we ran out of time. So this is part two of James and Fury talking about Indian clubs, how to coach people, how to lift people up so that they're greater versions of themselves. I love chatting with this guy. So in a moment, you'll get to hear from James and I, but for right now, you're just going to get to hear from me. Power tripping. Let's talk about some stuff going on. So the Fury crew is growing at such a wonderful little rate, and I mean little rate because I don't want to be the biggest gym in Brooklyn. I want to be the best neighborhood fitness experience in Brooklyn. I want to be the one that the neighbors go like, where do you go to the gym? I go to Fury Industries. Where's that? Well, you kind of need to know somebody. So check out CoachFury.com to take small group classes, personal training, or if you don't live in the Brooklyn area or close to an RF or G train, we could do some online coaching together. All of that is at CoachFury.com, as well as my courses. HKC Kettlebell Certification, Sunday, July 15th at Mark Fisher Fitness Bowery. The DVRT Ultimate Sandbag Training Workshop. This is a great intro to DVRT training and what makes the bag special, but more importantly, what makes the system special. And that's happening Sunday, August 12th at Brooklyn Health and Performance. Original Strength Pressing Reset, Sunday, September 16th at MFF Bowery. Those are always stellar courses. Come out for that. Boston, MSE Strength, September 22nd and 23rd, DVRT Level 1 and Level 2. Some people have been asking me, what's the difference between Level 1 and Level 2? Level 1 is really the foundations, get to know the system, the core movements, and see where we're going with the system. And then Level 2, the second day, really blows that up into a lot of uh, frontal plane movements, transverse plane movements. Uh, come check it out. It's really great. And then the RKC in 2019 at Momentum Fitness. Thank you, Marco. That's happening Saturday, March 2nd and March 3rd. Folks, if you haven't taken an RKC lately, it's now a two-day course and it flows wonderfully. You don't feel like you're missing out. The big thing is you actually don't feel like sometimes there's that little lag time. Um, so we're making the most of your time your finances, your time away from work, your home, your family. Uh, also, not quite the same amount of cumulative wear on the body when it was a three-day course. So, all of that stuff's going on. Enough about me. Let's talk about James. Welcome to episode 44, James and Fury. All right, back to it. I'm just having fun, man. How's it going? Things are good, dude. Things are good. It's good to see you again. I'm glad we're getting to fucking hang out three times in a, in a week. Yeah, no shit. So kids in Santa. So, yeah. So somebody was like, do your kids still believe in Santa? And, and my daughter's 11 and my son's going to be uh, nine. And I'm like, yeah, but they're starting to, definitely my son is starting to question. And the person thought it was weird. I can't remember who I was talking to. And it wasn't like in any sort of a nasty way. It was just a conversation that like, you know, they, they weren't aware of it yet. And I said, at what age for you and I, can you truly still believe in magic? And why would I rush to let that go? It's like, they already know that like elves and dragons don't exist, but there's like the equivalent of that in their life that they still have belief in. And I think that's kind of rad. So yeah, that's probably, I would imagine this year might be the end of it. And I'm hopefully nobody plays in this podcast beforehand, but uh, which I don't think they're listening to, thank God. But right. you know, it's, it's like one of those things. So yeah, this came up because James's shirt's got Santa making like a don't tell face and it says, don't stop believing. So it's like perfectly timed. 
<laughs> nice. I don't although know if that was visible po- or not. Although it's a podcast, so they can't see you. <laughs> he just focused on the show. Oh, there's no video? All right. It's just us. I'm only putting up the know. audio. No, uh, awesome. Awesome. That's about- probably better. I thought about doing video earlier and then some people were getting really self-conscious about like what were they wearing and stuff or if they had to like, you know, if they just got done in between training and I'm like, nah, we'll just keep it audio open for now. We might do some like live Facebook live episodes, I think. Uh, maybe that'll be part three of you and I. You can't hear me chewing, can you? No. Okay, but good. Stop chewing when you ask. You can't hear me talk, can you? <laughs> I just want to make sure it's not like rah, 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 rah. sorry man got my, my morning fritter you're disgusting uh, and putting off the audience well I remember taking a course where we had to do online call-ins with a fairly popular uh, fitness business person and the first time I called in motherfucker was eating <laughs> and chewing through the whole thing. And I'm like, I paid 600 bucks for this call. Oof. This dude's eating a sandwich. And it was like, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> I could barely hear what the dude is saying. Uh, yeah. It's always weird. We do these things for strength faction where we have like a, a couple of times a week, we do these, you know, Q and A's and I hopped on, you know, the, the one I usually get on is Thursday night at nine o'clock and inevitably everybody's either got a beer or they're eating or they're getting ready to go to bed. And just some of the background sounds are amazing. The joys of technology. Yeah. Right. Your mics are really clear. They're picking up everything. What yeah. are your neighbors doing? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I worry about that in this place, especially we have neighbors <laughs> now. But, you know, so that'll be like one of the hot episodes, I guess. Yeah, um, play so. floor hockey. Let, let, let's chat. Let's talk about, so uh, listeners, bringing you up to date on what's been going on in the world of James and Fury is, uh, you know, I mentioned that James, on the last episode, James was coming into town to teach a Flexible Steel uh, International Indian Club Specialist Certification, and uh, I got to meet him, meet up with him Sunday at Five Points at the end of the thing, and we went out and got a couple of drinks. I had to run back home to uh, head with the kids, but uh, it was good to see you. Let's talk, like, um, what did you think the experience was of the Indian Club cert? Oh man, uh, I'm always, I have wicked imposter syndrome. Like I have really bad imposter syndrome. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to be wherever I'm at telling people what to do. Cause I mean, I barely tell myself what to do. So <laughs> like, uh, and I realize I have an, uh, uh, some knowledge and I really want to share it, but I'm always a little nervous. And so far, every time I've done this, I have been, super impressed with the quality of people that show up and uh put in the work to get stuff done a couple of times i've had people show up that are like yeah i've never touched the club before Mm -hmm. and they do amazing and that's a testament to them as athletes and their ability to uh absorb information and then implement it Uh, that's a testament also to you as the instructor to clearly explain and demonstrate so that they can adapt to it. I mean, that is, I super hope so. <laughs> it definitely is. It, you know, this imposter syndrome, let's unpack that for a moment. Cause that I think is huge for coaches and I'm sure in other professions, but certainly coaches or professions where you're and not just presenting workshops, when you're leading a class, when you're talking amongst your peers, um, whatever that might be, you know, I think there are generally some of us that have the ego that we're better than everybody. And then I think 
I tend to be like you where I'm like, how the fuck did I get here? And I'd say for me, only in the last, you know, maybe a year and a half in terms of at least the kettlebell stuff uh, in particular, I'm like, I've taught enough of these now where like I have enough skills to present these kettlebell movements, enough troubleshooting both in and out of the manual that like I can teach you how to swing. And I feel like very confident in that. In right, Ultimate right. Standback Land, I feel very confident in that, but I'm still like, that's Josh's precious baby and right. Bento's precious baby. So I'm still trying to like honor the baby and not break them while they're at daycare, even though I've got a lot of experience with that as well. Um, and OS, I just, it, it's it, that one more than all of them, I think just comes so naturally to me now that like, it, I've been able to sort of make that my own though. That is very much like, you know, Tim and Danny's baby. Um, but that imposter syndrome how how do you handle it? Do you even address it, or is it just something you 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 know the fake it till you make it's a big phrase in our world, which I think is yeah, pretty valuable. Sort of. I mean, I get it, but also bullshit. Like, don't be. You can't. You can't fake it. Sort of. There's parts you can, but you can't fake like your skill level. You can't fake your uh, the eye for when things are going a little bit hinky, and you need to step in. You can't fake the, the portion where, you know, you, you gauge whether or not you should actually intervene or let them continue and figure yeah. things out, you know? And I don't, I don't think anybody, I don't know, I talk about this every once in a while with my wife because she's a surgeon. She's a doctor of veterinary medicine and a small animal surgeon, and that's no small thing. Like, if you look at statistics and what it takes to get into vet school just to get accepted, what the attrition rates are, who graduates, and then the odds of getting an internship, much less a residency, and then actually becoming a surgical specialist, the higher you go, the fewer. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's that thing where you're sitting in a room. Here's why it is for me. I'll, I'll give you why, why, why I feel this way. I'm used to being in a room of educators that are the top 10%, if not 2% in the world yeah. for what they do. Like when you're in front of Guru Dan and Asano, you understand that this is one of the foremost authorities in the world that can speak with his level of knowledge, experience, and uh, understanding of how to coach. Because the guy was a public school educator for 35 some odd years, but more, whatever, right? And uh, Dr. Eric Cobb, this is a guy who's really sharp. Pavel, he's pretty sharp, you know, yeah. Brett, Gray, any of these people, when you're standing in front of them, and then you're looking around, and you're like, wow, these are, these are, the, these are the really big, high-end professionals in the fitness industry. Cool, I'm surrounded by people that are at the top of their game. That's why we're all here, to learn from this guy who's at the top of his game. And I'm like, well, I did a, did a couple of three-day courses over a weekend once and read some books. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, 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 it all comes down to the experience of getting out. I guess that's when I view like fake it till you make it. I think as long as you're on the path of actually doing it, right? Like, mm. so for me, it's not actually faking the skill level because you can't mm. really fake that. Like, you can't be in a room and, and be able to do it. But like that level of confidence to like, not like you never would be a Brett, but to like, you do have to present yourself in a way as like the one thing you have to sort of set an expectation of is that you are the authority in the room and yeah. how you do that. is a really, you know, interesting thing, you know, stylistically, personality wise, excuse me. 
Um, you know, I've seen people come in and like be, you know, uh, very arrogant, use a lot of big words and, uh, you know, try to, try to impress just with like, you know, uh, just intimidation of like, check out how fucking smart and strong I am. And then I've also yeah, had yeah. like, I, I tend to be more of like, you know, the humble side of it. Like where I like somebody's like, I just happen to, ha- this is how I present. And it's, it's, again, it's not that it's just me generated. It's what I liked by most of the people you've mentioned there in particular, like Brett comes across as extremely knowledgeable and super humble and a funny approachable guy. There's no wall when yeah. you yeah. Brett Jones present. And you know, that I learned a lot from, whereas, you know, in the olden days of, you know, our older RKC and whatnot, where sometimes there was more of a, you know, an attitude or whatever of elitism, like I, that I didn't relate to as much. But here you have Brett and anybody can go and ask him a question. Right. Right. And, and yeah, that, always, that. That, that always stuck to me. And I'll say this, this was an interesting thing. So, you know, I've been, you know, you and I are fortunate enough to go through these courses when Pavel was still actively showing up at more of them, right? Like you'd go to an RKC or whatnot and he would actually be there. And he, uh, you know, I remember being really intimidated to say anything around him. Uh, Part of that was because they had the whole ask questions or get punished thing back in the day. But, you know, I went to the strong first barbell cert in Virginia beach and there were only 30 of us. And it was just like very easy to go, Hey, Pavel, could you take a look at my deadlift? And so part of that is like also just as an attendee trying to fake it till I make it to be like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay enough to ask these people a fucking question. Oh, I'm the worst with that, man. I'm the, I'm the worst. I'm front row hitting people with questions, it's asking the, for demos and demanding answers. Cause I pay cash to be there. It's important. Now I'll say this with the questions and answers. Like I actually do this thing and, and feel free. Anybody listening that to, to steal this is part of my like setting course expectations of what to expect this weekend or this day or whatever. I have a very like upfront moment of joint accountability where I'm like, folks, I really value the time and the money and the training you spend here and that you're not with your loved ones, your family, whoever you're going to hear me ask, are there any questions constantly throughout this workshop and you're going to have silences where there's no questions and I'm okay with that. I'm not going to be offended by that. But when the eval comes around and you ask, I wish I talked more about X, know that that is your fault for not asking the question because I am here to help you. I am offering, I, you know, opportunities yeah. for your questions, but if you don't ask them, we're adults here. Like I can't help you on that. And even with that, <laughs> it still happens. We're like, we should talk a little bit about X, right? Now the flip side so, of that is, Within the context of a curriculum, like we have to stay within to some degree the context of a curriculum. And some people, um, you know, will directly try to challenge the curriculum. And I don't mean in like an informed, educated way, in a way that, you know, it's just like you're trying to elevate, the, the attendee is trying to elevate themselves amongst the group or their friends that happen to be there. Yeah. Um, or the questions are out of scope and might be like, you know, the equivalent of an X course, like going to an RKC or SFG1 and asking about the bent press a bunch that would be more appropriate for an SFG or RKC too. True. But when it's within the curriculum, you have to be able to back that up. And that's where you can't fake it. So you make it, uh, yeah. or you just say like, I don't know, but I will get back to you at a later date and apologize. And sometimes you have to do that. It's, at least it's really I have to. No, it's really funny. I, I have exactly the same thing where I tell people like two things. I don't care how you learn, however you learn. I want you to learn that way. So if you feel like you need to get up and jump around and move and do stuff, if you want to shove food in your face nonstop, however you learn best, please do that. Mm-hmm. And then ask me questions as they come up. Just raise your hand, pull me aside, whatever you got to do. And if I can address it immediately, I will. If it's more than a short answer, I'll try to come back to you. 
If it's yeah. something that I think everybody will benefit from, I'm going to ask you to share it. And same thing, man. I get these deer in the headlights looks. And I know that people don't understand what I just said to them. Like, I know I didn't understand it when somebody said it to me. And unless these people have a really deep background in whatever it is I'm talking about, they're probably going to miss it. Uh, not because I'm so cool, but because I bring up some weird esoteric stuff that doesn't seem connected until it does. And I think it's okay when, again, it's all about setting these expectations of like practice, right? Like what's come yeah. up Rick, repeatedly talking about courses and certs and whatnot over this show with several people has been this idea that people chase initials and, and modalities um, without investing the time and practicing them. So let's just say Indian clubs, for example. It is not one that you get good at quickly no. and can start necessarily teaching the next day and look good doing it. And I'm not going to lie. So, I, dude, you know, it's like, so folks, listeners, if you went to the Coach Fury um, podcast Facebook page, James sent this beautiful demo of him with Indian clubs, right? Now, James and I have assisted together at Indian clubs uh, course. I've assisted at two certifications and then this course that james and i did i went through them seven years ago i tried to do just the opening couple of turns that james did i can't fucking figure this shit out <laughs> so it's not something that suddenly you're going to be uh, amazing at you have to invest the time in it and i do think sometimes at a cert you can only talk to a certain level and I don't mean this true. in a belittling way no 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 true so that they can then go and apply it right and yeah it suits them to do it. And I think it's okay. Cause the bottom line is like, I hate to say it half the time. I want to say half the time with, you know, that sometimes people are just there thinking they already know it. They pick up one or two drills and then they're going to go on to the next thing. Right. And that's like an unfortunate part. Cause like you said, we spend money on these things and I know damn well, especially in the olden days that if I was going to spend 16 or $1,700 on a three day kettlebell cert, I'm getting my money out of it. Now, mind you, I went to that first one and did not ask like a single question. I mean, I think I was very vocal with Phil Scarito and my, and, and the people that were assisting Phil was my team leader. Um, but like, I didn't ask the big group questions cause I was like scared shitless. I think I was, yeah, I think my first one, I was just bombarding people with questions. Why this, what's this, how do I do this? How do I, you know? Well, it's awesome. I, like the flip side, no when are you, when are you going to have the opportunities to ask a Brett or Pavel a question in person ever again? Right. That's the other thing is I have no respect for, uh, and this, this may sound off, but I have no respect for people or persons. They're just like me. I have respect for their position. I have respect for their authority. I have respect for them as individuals. And I might even have respect for their knowledge, but that doesn't mean that I can't ask them a question. Because if somebody asks me a question and I can't explain it, I really need to be better at that. That's a great money to be in the room with me yeah that's a great way to look at it because i'll be honest like when i started out i think i was the opposite side of it i, I was just real nervous again this was also part of like the second career switch going on sure. so i was new to being in a workshop environment entirely like my rkc was only the i think i is only the third thing i'd ever done i did the hkc which was the first one at five points and then i did a trx course which was like eh and then i did uh no, uh, no offense, TRX. I'm, I've heard it's gotten a lot better. I was not super impressed by my first TRX thing back in 2010. And then I took the RKC. So just being in a gymnasium filled, of, filled with, you know, 100 people in full hardcore military style RKC, you know, right. like the punishment swings, bring your belt to the, you know, and carries and bring your belt to the bathroom shit. Uh, I was like generally like, oh, my gosh. Uh, 
And then oh, I was like, right. you get over it. Bathroom, I forgot about that. Yeah, you know what I thought? If, that, if I were to ever walk in a room now and somebody asked me to do that, regardless of having any sort of titles myself, like if I was just an attendee, just being a grown ass man in his 40s and someone said, you're going to bring the bell to the bathroom, I'd be like, I'd like my refund now. That would not fly with me whatsoever now. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what the fuck part? What the fuck part of fitness or respect does that really mean <laughs> in a, in a, for a grown ass man or woman to have to do that? It, it was just like it was a it was a show and a smoke and mirrors tactic, right? To set that fear example so that you respected everything. Like I get that there was like no, it wasn't actually. There's a better reason. There was a better reason. I understood it. Um, so people wouldn't go to the bathroom because they were too tired. No, it's a military training model. And what it does is it, it adds this level of stress that everybody has to take part in. And the people at the end, remember the, the workout at the very end? Yeah, the grad workout. Everybody's on the field, right? All moving, uh, going from one end of whatever to the other end, doing like double swings, uh, seesaw presses, and uh, whatever, right? Uh, whatever the, the workout was, that iteration. So at the end of it, you've got people all around you participating exactly the same horribly stressful event, and you get this big cathartic release, and it's a bonding experience. It's a bonding experience, bonding through stress, right? Like uh, we were all in a car accident together, so now we're friends. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, a, that's an effective model to build cohesion in teams, and it builds loyalty. And it also cements that you just paid 2800 bucks for this. So, you know, you might want to feel good at the end, that big dopamine release you get at that cathartic moment when you're like, oh, I passed and I got all the requirements and I finished this horrible workout. And all my buddies that I've met this weekend that we've, we've bonded over this stressful experience where we're all bloody hands and super tired we've been yelled at and told how horrible we were the first day the second day we were getting better the third day we're the elite mm -hmm. um yeah i get I, it. I, get I, that. I, totally I counter get it. though that even and, and openly folks like they nobody does that anymore like i, I feel like that went away pretty quickly do. i don't know and then, but everybody i feel feels the same exact way but is actually a little more open to learn without having to bring your bell to the bathroom because it's yeah, still stressful. Everybody else is still fucking nervous about their snatch test. Everybody right. else is still nervous about passing. What's the workload going to be? Battle crap. We talked about battle crap. That, <laughs> like, because we were talking about the stress reply back to the FSIC when we were teaching. Uh, I talked about stress reply, stress response a lot. Like, I spent probably two hours talking about stress hormone cascade and what happens, why it's bad, how often it goes on, and how we can counter and mitigate that using clubs. And I briefly touched on the idea that, you know, snatch test specific, everybody had that moment probably, and I, I bet you just had it in your head. I bet your stomach just dropped, and you're like, man, I, I might need to go hit the head because mm -hmm. stress poop, right? Battle crap. And <laughs> the line for the bathroom before the snatch test. Yeah. Uh, it was terrifying, right? It was weird. And like that level of stress, I don't think actually lends to an educational experience. I think it does lend to a bonding experience and gets people to feel as though they are part of something larger than themselves. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think there's something very cool now, and I bring this up when we talk about snatch tests or a grad workout, that whether or not you're into the dogma of any brand or hard style kettlebells versus other kettlebells, just to know 
how many amazing coaches, men and women, have gone through a snatch test at this point, right? Like if you really... And if people don't know what a snatch test is, please describe the current iteration of the snatch <laughs> test. A snatch test is a kettlebell snatch, is a kettlebell swing is when you ballistically from a hinge get a kettlebell to float uh, about chest high and then repeat, right? So a snatch is when you do that with one hand overhead, right? So not an American swing, it's one, one arm kettlebell swing, but instead of projecting out, you're projecting up. The snatch Two test, <laughs> what was that? Do fixation. Yeah, so the snatch test from the RKC or SFG standard is 100 reps, um, switching between arms as, as many times as, as needed in, for the last several years, uh, in five minutes. So you're basically trying to get, on average, a minimum of 20 reps total per side a minute uh, for five minutes. So you get it done. And it's part of the strength test. Now, part of it, it used to have much more gnarly iterations where you couldn't chalk your hands, you could only switch once. Um, and, you know, what I view the snatch test is this, is that if you show up, the RKC is now two days. I don't know about strong first, but if you're showing up to a two or three day kettlebell cert, unprepared, like how you said, nobody had touched an Indian yeah. before. We have people come into DVRT for the ultimate sandbags, never touched a sandbag before. And they're smoked with, by lunch because they're moving in a different way. They're not used to the volume. So for me, a snatch test is valid because if you can swing you know, or snatch a kettlebell 100 times in five minutes, you probably have the baseline strength conditioning and shoulder stability to get through a two- or three-day kettlebell course. For me, that's like the main aspect of it. It's something that you have to consistently train for um, yeah. to get there. And we instituted oh, totally. a strength test in DVRT for the same reason, just so that people trained a certain way. Now, mind you, not enough people train for it to this day, but I also think it's like usually for a lot of people, if they don't come in with a powerlifting background with kettlebells, it's usually the first item that they're ever being programmed for. So I also think the snatch test is interesting for that, that, you know, in kettlebells, it's like everyone likes to overcomplicate things like check out my latest double bell complex. Well, what, what version of swings, cleans, presses is it going to be, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you're going to change rep counts, whatever. But I think the snatch test is one that's the first time that people generally start training for something or the press, they start training towards their press weight for reps. Um, yeah, so yeah. I think that's super valuable, especially as newer coaches are, are, are coming in. Whereas, you know, I think those of us that have been at it, you know, will program power lifters different because they're used to periodization working towards a goal. Right. And st- kind of strict, like this is your program. These are the numbers you have to hit. Yeah. There's no equivocation. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a hundred or it's not. But now, any, I don't want to go too far off on that. Anyway, because I've had some negative experiences with the snatch test myself uh, in administering it and the standard. My, my feelings on the, like, the no counts and stuff like that. I'm not going to get into that again, though. Uh, the last time I said anything, people got kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> I'll say this. just to, From my perspective, I, let, I do tend to let a good amount of stuff slide in a snatch test. Because just by nature, even of our training methodology of lower rep quality stuff no one does their best snatches rep 75 yeah it happens yeah. very rarely it's it's, it's beautiful it's when you see it though it is beautiful it is. when you see somebody that comes in and like their last rep is as good as their first rep but it's rare that's a pro that's somebody mm-hmm. who's touched the bell before this is not a three-day cert person right yeah uh, anyway so imposter syndrome wicked so i show up to these clinics and i'm not sure i'm supposed to be there and I'm comparing myself to Ed Thomas, <laughs> which is ridiculous. I shouldn't even bother. That's not, that's not a standard I can 
I just don't have the experience and I, I can't, I can't go through the Vietnam war, Korea, all that. You know what I mean? I can't yeah. go through those eras with that experience level. For the, for so, those that don't know, Dr. Thomas, I, I think we touched upon him last time is, is, He's a he's a physical culture historian on top of really their main person. Fulbright scholar at one point was the head of the, the United States Army Physical Training Department. Yeah, and, and he is so, why we why we have Indian clubs still happening today. Anybody to say yeah, otherwise. Totally. He's totally. the one who introduced him to Gray and Brett. He's the one that um, you know, Dragon yeah. first initially made Indian clubs for those of you that might've bought a pair of Indian clubs that came with a little blue DVD and a crappy case. Uh, that would be Dr. Ed Thomas on there. He's, uh, uh, a wonderfully brilliant, eclectic, nice guy. I think I saw his VHS tape in 1997. Wow. Uh, my friend Spencer Bradford had brought it to me. who is also RKC. I don't know if he went SFG or not, but, uh, he helped Pavel down in uh, Ohio with Louis Simmons' uh, barbell clinic years oh, cool. ago, right? So this is an old school head. Uh, he's been around a bit, right? And uh, he brings this VHS over, and I'm like, what, what's going on? And we watch. That's pretty good. Oh, that's Pat Milicic. Weird. And, you know, we start playing around with the clubs. And then, yeah, so I'm comparing myself to people like that, which is just ridiculous. And... On the other end of things, like uh, for the neuro stuff and movement, I'm comparing myself to people like Dr. Cobb, like, uh, you know, Pavel, and just people who move really well and they're really sharp, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, I've got a JKD background, so I'm looking at people like Guru and Asano and thinking, well, that's, where, that's my goal. That's where I'm heading. That's what I'm trying to get to. And, but also people who can demonstrate stuff like, uh, you know, I remember Sifu Larry Hartzell and – my first seminar with Sifu Larry Hartzell, over off the edge of the mat, I hear, I thought that old man was going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, where I'm like, wow, this old, this old dude shows up and lights people up and, like, they have to protect themselves or he will smack you in the head. Legit, yeah. first thing, Mike, uh, the hell was his name? Asher, Mike Asher, the Minnesota Collie Group. We start the seminar and Larry's like, all right, we're going to do some boxing stuff. And he lit this kid's face up for a second, just one jab. And he's like, hands up, son. <laughs> and it's, you see Mike's hands go boom and pop up, stick to his head. And it's like, yeah, that old man will hit you. He will keep you honest. Like, this guy's been around. He's not, he's not teaching you how to play patty cake. This is, we're going to hit each other. Well, if, so if we take that and apply it to your Union Club thing, no, this would be, and this isn't, again, just because you're the guy on the show right now, is... Like, yeah, Dr. Tom, there's only one Dr. Thomas, right? But there's also only one you. Aside from seeing him turn clubs, you are the most graceful person I've ever seen. There's got to be somebody better than me. I mean, I want there to be somebody better than me. So but, but in, in, in all of the videos that I've seen, again, it's not like I'm going on YouTube hunting all these things down. Um, you know, there's not a lot of people that sort of like stand out. There's a lot of, I'd say, like, I think I'm very. Uh, I would actually love to have my technique checked over, but I think, you know, if you go from the original DVD and the CICS course certified any club specialist thing we did back in the day, I think from one through five, I'm sharp. Six needs a lot of work usually because I don't practice it that much, but I feel like, you know, we have our techniques on that. Um, Mm. Your ability to flow in and out well above and beyond what that is, I would say puts you in like rare air. So just in terms of like, yeah, you're comparing yourself as a teacher, uh, to Dr. Thomas, but when you come into the room of whoever it might be, 
you're definitely going to be the expert when it comes to Indian clubs. Well, that's funny you say it that way. You know what I mean? Does that make sense though? Like, yeah, no, totally. In my head, my goal is not to be the best. My goal is to be the best in the room. Yeah. And I think that's, <laughs> that's a weird thing. It, it's um, to share, you know, to share the info. Like, cause when I, when I teach, say, say it's a sand, you know, an ultimate sandbag course, right? Say it's DVRT. When I go to teach, I know I'm not going to be the best coach in that room going in. I just know it. There's going to be people that are smarter. There's going to be people that have been doing it longer. There's going to be people that are stronger. They're going to be people, you know, whatever. There's, there's going to be things that they're better at. What I do try to go in is, is like for this thing today, for the next right. nine hours, this is my wheelhouse. I'm going to share what I can with you as clearly as I can so that you get your value out of it and hopefully get like a buy-in to the system. And I don't mean that in a silly way, but like, and it's like, holy oh. shit, I can use this in my training. So that's like, I'm never... to the next piece. Yeah, go for no, it. Go ahead. Sorry, go no, ahead. I'm just going to say, so like beyond that though, like, you know, it doesn't put me in a position where I have to try to be like the best all around coach, you know, or cause I'm not, you know, if somebody might be like an amazing Olympic lifter, I, I don't know shit about that. That's not my wheelhouse. Um, I am skilled at the few, you know, the groups that I, ha- I happen to be very fortunate enough to teach for are generally that even if I didn't have these positions, they're the ones that make up my training philosophy. So I'm very versed in those. But beyond that, that doesn't mean shit in the bigger world, right? Like, cause who knows what the other person is doing? The person might be like a legit brain surgeon in the room and he's an sure. enthusiast. That, that, right, that's right. what happens. So like, who am I to go? Like, so I'm not going to worry so much about the, the grander scope of imposter syndrome. I'm going to go, I probably have the most experience with DVRT, specifically DVRT ultimate sandbag training in this room. Just like I've, I've taught uh, kettlebell certs where there's like, you know, very high level Jiravoy sport folks on it. I'm like, I can't even talk to that because I know very yeah. little about it. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. sort of how I go in and, 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 and deal with it. Yeah, it's, and so that actually touches on the next thing. So I, I, wicked imposter syndrome, but I, I feel like I have a kind of reasonable understanding of the material and I can com- communicate it. So like I have a teaching style that I think is, uh, it's been, <laughs> I think somebody called it anecdotal, uh, which I thought was hilarious because that's really a good descriptor. I tell stories and I take people on kind of a journey. Sometimes it's a long way around, man. It's the scenic route. Uh, fact, at the clinic this week, last weekend, somebody mentioned that my teaching style was like taking the scenic route. Mm. And uh, I feel like that's the, the way that I like to communicate the information and that it actually gets things in better by slowly stopping by the, the hits on the, in the, it's like going around the park and you're, you're hitting all the little yeah. fitness stops, right? Uh, if you make your, your way around it in a meandering fashion and enjoy the whole trip and you are hitting all the marks, then that's cool. I can understand how that's challenging for some people to, to learn that way. So I, I'm always trying to work on my teaching style and communication skills. So again, I, I, not imposter syndrome, but I'm not sure if I'm up to the mark. I'm trying, trying as hard as I can and I'm hoping. So I'm a little nervous every time I go into these and then I show up and I got these really cool people in front of me that are really sharp and move really well already, which makes it super easier to teach, right? Uh, I've done a couple in countries where I had a translator and people had a grasp on the English language, but not like idiom doesn't come across. And uh, it's hard, it's easy to translate. It's hard to transliterate. 
to get the the feeling and in, in meaning of a, a sentence rather yeah. than just the words, right? The, the depth of it becomes it becomes superficial when it's, there's a translator to some degree. Yeah, and like my jokes, I, I tell horrible jokes the whole time, uh, and and uh, nobody gets my jokes, and that's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> occasionally, somebody will pick up a thread and run with it, but uh, yeah, it's it's I'm always a little curious, and then I really ask a lot of questions. Uh, I'm a questions-based person, right? I believe in the Socratic method. First, let us agree on our terms. So once we define our terms, then we can continue our conversation. We have to agree on, this is an Indian club. No, it's not, it's a spatula. We need to define what an Indian club is. Cool, let's do that, right? So that's my teaching style, and I'm always afraid that people are gonna get mad at me. (laughs) Because I've had people legit get upset because I ask so many questions Uh. of the person who's there asking me the question of how do I get better at this, right? Uh, And then do I know the material well enough? Do I actually know this stuff cold? Can I name the cranial nerves in line now, right? I have a mnemonic that I I use. Uh, That's an adult show, ooh, 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 two touch and feel. Was it uh, virgin girls, vaginas, and hymens? It's VH, right? You'll remember that. That's an easily remembered, remembered thing. And then, okay, what do those nerves do? All right, now that what's, what's the level and area of the brain? All right, that's where that goes. How, does that, how do I affect that with a club? Uh, I got to do this for eye position. I got to do this for head position. They can only rotate in this direction. When they go into the back low arm circle with the wrist, that's a you know, musculocutaneous nerve drive when they're uh, doing snakes with their right arm in the lateral. That is an ulnar to radial nerve glide. Uh, when they're coming across the front with a snake, that is a subscapular nerve glide. If they're doing a, and all this stuff's in my head, and I have to figure out how to communicate that to people super fast. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is. Here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. They've been getting it, man. I'm, I'm watching them click into place and I'm slowly developing my, my style so I can make this a, uh, an accelerated process for the people that show up. Uh, I hope I can accelerate my own learning process so that I can deliver a better course. Uh, and you will. I mean, it's just like teaching these things is just like any other part of training or, or anything. The more you get to do it, the more you self-assess, you know, uh, what you think you did good, what you think you did bad, what, what, what lagged, you know, reading the groups like you know you start to teach enough groups where you start to be like okay well this is the part of this cert where 90 percent of the time there starts to be a fall off sure so that the next time i can address it because historically through repetition i know this is happening and you change you make these subtle changes and you get better and you get clearer and that's when it's truly like the the imposter syndrome starts to fade because you really do start to make it your own like where it, it, it's 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 <laughs> you're, you're I mean, you wrote your curriculum for this, but it becomes your own that in a way that like, you know, yeah. someone's asking yeah. you a question or an explanation and you're now explaining it in the context of a manual or whoever your mentor was, but it's not coming out verbatim from the manual. And I've seen yeah. it like I, I, I tend to, in OS I, as a, as a lead instructor, a lot of the times I have assistant instructors that are like on the, on the potentially on the edge of becoming instructors, right. Or they're on the path to becoming instructors. And those are some of the right. things that like, we all have to get sharper on, you know, because if you just read the manual, it doesn't translate like you're like you're the. Uh, like you actually know the material. 
Yeah, because anybody can go and read the manual and then, you know, spend, you know, a week repeating it and then try to do it. But how do you really see uh, the Einstein rule? Yeah. You can't explain it in five minutes or less. You don't understand it. Yeah. It's just like coaching anything. If I, if I need more than, you know, if any session I'm using more than three cues to get somebody better at something, like I'm the asshole, you know, I might try some on the next session, but like in any one session, I'm not going to over cue the hell out of anything. Totally. I, the thing from Highland, I tell you three times, uh, you know, if I say it three times, it's not your fault. It's cognitive. It's not cognitive. You can't think out of this problem. And Indian clubs is a tough one. Whereas like in a, you know, in a kettlebell cert or barbell cert, there's a lot of physical demand. Indian clubs is a high level of mental demand. I mean, I remember, you know, day, day two, just smoke coming out of my ears. Um, trying to process, you know, the final good turns to get my, you know, right, technique right. down. Um, really and mental. What's, what's really cool, though, is that so far, not one of the people who've shown up for the cert has been a cert chaser. I don't think they're cert chasing. And if they are, that's fine. But I think Indian clubs are still eccentric enough that they're not drawing. Yeah, I don't think anybody have, thinks the initials of having an Indian club cert suddenly going to bring them a bunch of clients. Right, right. But that uh, said, I'll say this. I don't mean to cut you off. One of the surprising yeah. things was, so Steve Millis and I took Indian clubs in like 2011, St. Paul. And we took it just because it was like, we thought it would be good for us and for, you know, potentially for the fighters and whatnot, for the membership. And it's just like through any odd object. We just got interested in like an old school form of training, Right. But people seeing me use Indian clubs, suddenly, like, even, like, some of the independent trainers are like, oh, Fury's a shoulder guy. <laughs> so I started getting work where they would actually refer, you know, like, one of their clients to me to, like, help yeah, them with their shoulder mobility a little bit, which is, like, slightly I like guided, shoulder guy. But, like, suddenly I was, like, the shoulder guy because I had a pretty heavy press, at the, you know, for, for what the time was. And I was good with Indian clubs, and I was pretty coordinated. Um, Steve's shoulders move better than mine. He must be amazing. <laughs> yeah, but then FMS, Steve, and he's a clear 2-1 to 1-1 without a lot of warm-up, surgery <laughs> and stuff, you know. Um, but, you know, that was one of those weird ones where suddenly, like, I would have sessions based on people be like, hey, I want to learn Indian clubs, you know. And so I made money off of it. But it's also, we talked about it, like, well, one of the things I'm grateful for what Steve did is, like, when we came back from that cert, you know, I was asked if I could try to start a class. And we had an Indian club class for a while. And I think it's back now. But uh, I found it was very, like, a, the, a lot of the members found it very frustrating because it's very repetitive. And it's not something like a, like a weight where you get an instant response when something's heavier. So I actually fixed that, I think. Oh, I, think I think I fixed this. Um, my assessment process. So the assessment process that I give the coaches covers visual, vestibular, and proprioceptive. We actually assess each of those systems fairly in depth. Uh, I want to see that their vestibular system is actually functioning. I want to see that it, it can potentially function at a very high level. And then I want to know that they can see clearly the things around them because if their eyes aren't super good, their balance is going to be Mm-hmm. compromised right away right if you think about if i can see my finger six inches from my face and the other finger i hold up directly next to it if my eyes see one of those objects as being further apart than the other one is that's going to be a challenge for me to navigate so vision and balance are really 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 super heavily assessed right and 
that becomes part of the individual assessment as well for the client. Uh, and then proprioceptive, I want to see their quality of movement. And I ask them to go through just basic impingement tests, neck, shoulders, wrists, uh, spinal flexion and extension, SLR, right? And it's also because a lot of the people that are showing up have a common background. They, we all speak the language of the FMS. A lot of people from the SFG and RKC communities, uh, OS communities, are showing up for these things. And we all speak kind of a common language. So fuck it. Lingua franca, do that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of that assessment process, I have a fairly clear idea of what posture, what head, neck, trunk position, what, where should they hold their eyes, which arm works, what movements do they not do, which movements do they have to do a lot of, but not when they're in front of me, when they're mm -hmm. at home, when it's going to make them super tired and put them to bed. Uh, why do they have to do these other things that aren't related to the club? And then, and I, I, I especially did this at, at uh, Five Points, I had them do a little strength test to see how was their strength affected after they used the clubs and how were other systems affected? So how does addressing the visual affect your strength? How does addressing the proprioceptive address your strength? How does it, uh, uh, addressing the vestibular function uh, affect your strength output? And at the end of it, everybody was like, I didn't realize that strength could be the assessment between using the clubs. So I think uh, just to give it a go, if you want, uh, take the clubs, move them, pick something up that's heavy, that's usually really heavy. I had them do a five RM press. Mm -hmm. If they can do it safely, right? Uh, pick it up, swing the clubs 10 times, put it down, pick it up again. What changed, if anything? And then make some assessments based on that or make some uh, uh, adjustments based on that and then continue, right? So getting people to see the benefit of it, I think was a, a, a big stumbling block. I will totally agree with that. Uh, I hopefully have addressed that in the, in the clinic and then That's giving awesome. them the tools to, to know how to make that meaningful for the individual. Well, I know like Jason in particular, you know, uh, my friend Jason was there and. Giles, he was awesome. Yeah, man. that guy was awesome. Really good dude. Uh, fellow Strong Islander. Um, Jason was mentioning, and this was an odd one uh, that Sarah Young had pointed out to me once. Is like, you know, ever since he's got his tattoo sleeve, he's had some things with his press. Because folks like yeah. this, you know, Sarah Young pointed this to me this to me out to me two years ago in North Carolina. It's like, yeah, your skin goes through trauma. So they become sticking points. And, yep. uh, you know, so he was dealing with a little bit of that, but he was mentioning that after the course that there were already improvements happening on that front. Um, so yeah, everybody watch out when you get your sleeves. Cause like, yes, let's remember they look good, especially when flexed, but <laughs> there is trauma happening. <laughs> and that adhesions, uh, Stop the tissue layers from sliding smoothly. And if a nerve gets trapped in there, that's not innervated anymore. I had not ever thought of it because most of my, like my bigger work tattoos are all pretty old at this point. Um, and then she started doing some work on my shoulder and was like, yeah, it's all that ink you got up there is probably gumming Word. some stuff up. And what's cool, Indian clubs will help with that. Yeah. I mean, they I, can't tissue through its full range of motion under as many stretches as you can think of. If you can stop yourself from smacking yourself in the face. 
Yeah, I, I'll say this, and I've written about it, and, and you know, I, I wrote a blog for Phil uh, for the first course that we actually met for to help try to drive towards it. Is I don't think I'd be able to continue to do a lot of the stuff with overhead pressing and get-ups that I do if I did not turn clubs fairly often. Like, I use them at least three times a week. I don't do a ton of them. I don't sit there and do, like, a half-hour session. But I'm a big fan of, like, sets, like, three to five sets of ten or just, of, uh, uh, just flowing through them. Daniel Coyle or uh, – Don't know him. Uh, wrote a book called The Talent Code. Or how about Anders Ericsson? No. A deliberate practice model. Uh, as human beings at the elite athletic level, the average attention span for deliberate practice is 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. We're talking like you spent your whole life to be on the platform Olympic athlete. 15 minutes. We're not talking like dude who just left his crappy job at Starbucks to yeah. <laughs> try to burn off some stress and build some butt, you know? Uh, so like, a, I, I just love them, man. I, I, I think there's so much benefit between the tissue plasticity rates. Uh, cause you can build muscle faster and you can build ligaments, tendons, cartilage, and the clubs take up that space. They give you a way to brachiate safely. Right. So break eight, hang. <laughs> Plus there's so many people like that. That's where their issues end up lying. Right. Like, especially as we get older, how many people have either a shoulder, elbow or wrist issue? And why? Cause we sit in chairs. We're question marks, right? Yeah. Well, it's, no I, I, yeah. So it, it's uh, I'm a fan of it. I, you know, I, I think we mentioned last time I, I bought a, a couple of steel maces. Thanks to the Ben Marvin podcast, my buddy Bannon, you know, that's so been a, fun. Been, been a really big, interesting takeaways for me. Um, they fit very nicely, very different folks. They're not the same, but fits nice, nicely in with that, that practice for me. Uh, and it's another one where I'll sit out and I'll, you know, I'll do some sets of 10. I'll hit like, you know, uh, maybe I end up doing like a total of like 60 to 70 reps per side total. I would that's say like that a chunk of my workout. I would say that mace work and heavy club work fills a space that running fills. I could see that. Well, not for the, well, somewhat for the endurance, but uh, uh, mobilizing the viscera. Yeah. Like actually mobilizing your internal self, your organs, moving stuff around. Because of that rotation and the range of motion you wind up going through and the tension level you, exceed, you, you get to, not like pant shitting intensity, but uh, you're putting the, the, the whole structure under a load and stretching it while you move it that has to be good for you it's especially that idea of you know and this goes back to a lot of the stuff we do it's a little bit outside of the hard style world is that idea of reflexive strength right like one of the cornerstones of original strength it's like when you're swinging a club yes there's technique to it um or a mace but like a lot of that shit like you can't brace through a rotational movement because you wouldn't no. So your body's learning to like stabilize and, and find its own brace without it being like such a forced moment, right. Of creating hard style, like, you know, quote unquote, hard style tension. And that is the stuff that like, if you're going to fall, if you're a 50 year old guy and you, you trip in the park and you're going to fall reflexively, you need to be able to move and brace with that. Not suddenly try to find your like breathe behind the shield, right. It just has to happen. That's it. <laughs> That's such a huge thing for me, the, <laughs> the tension thing, man. 
you can't walk around with your asshole clenched all day. No, <laughs> that's not good for you. It's bad. And, and you know, when I teach the when I teach the kettlebell starts, I really try to stress. You know, there's this line of like what's, what's like what, what's a shoulder pack, and what's like what we would deem a shoulder pack, like in terms yeah. of thing. And I think you know, in the years what's of the popular. Well, in the years of the uh, of hard style kettlebells, whichever group you're you know you're a part of, you know, shoulder pack for me is like shoulders not out of the socket. There's some tension there, but that doesn't mean I can't reach forward actively, you know, under control. Whereas right. I think for a lot of us, the shoulder pack became like and, you know, and I know I've done this in the past where the shoulder got became kind of a fixed position. And Dude, I, you my know, favorite over time, joke. Over my time, favorite you got to do it. Favorite joke in the kettlebell community. Everybody with shoulder problems, raise your arms. <laughs> yep, that's a, that's a great Brett one, too. <laughs> it's such a terrible joke, but it's, <laughs> it hits home so fast where everybody's like, I'd raise my hand, but like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's that weird. Uh, and, and, and this is where, like, you know, we talked about this on the last episode. I like where I see training going, at least right. among our, you know, peers and the people that are into the stuff we're into, there's always going to be the big it's box gyms and the chain gyms that are finding their own kind of like half-assedly or mediocrely way to just have a great experience and people come in and out. And that's all right, you know. Um, but the, I do think there's this wonderful blend that's happening that we're starting to look at. Yeah, breathing's important, right? But like spending 20 minutes on breathing drills, people are paying you to lift, so we have to move some stuff. But what does right, that right. part mean, right? Like, and this better idea, make this important to me now. <laughs> yeah, you know, this, this idea of, like, everything being tension, tension, tension. Like, I don't need the same amount of tension for a 16K press than I would for a 32K press. And neurologically, I'm teaching my brain that that is potentially threatening. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it, so, yeah, there's techniques and there's strategies. And certainly it gets very different if you are going to do, like, a fucking triple body weight back squat and stuff. Boy, there's a threat, like, where there's a legitimate, like, life-threatening thing happening. I don't have that guy in my gym. But, you know, it, it, it's one of these <laughs> things we do in DVRT. One of the beautiful things I love about, like, the nature of the ultimate sandbag and, and what, how Josh has placed the handles, that if you just drive, if, if folks, if you were to stand up right now, <laughs> wherever you are, Right, drive your feet as hard as you can into the floor. Guess what's going to happen? Your legs are going to straighten, your kneecaps are going to zip up, and your quads, your cheeks are going to get tight. I'm not telling you to squeeze your ass cheeks. I'm just saying push into the floor. Right, that's a reflexive response. Externally now, rotate your knees. Yeah. Now, if you keep doing that and then you pretend to like pull a towel apart or a band apart with your hands, you're going to feel your lats turn on. Now, if you just breathe with those two things on, your glutes and your lats, guess what's hard to do? It's much harder to round your back. Uh, versus getting all, you know, so yeah, whatever. dialed about it. Because, like, you know, again, like we talked about this last time, fucking person's coming to the gym. Yes, they should be able to have some level of core stability and strength that they should generate enough tension that they can hold their trunk in a position to do something. But right. at the same point, we have to remember that these people's lives are way stressful and we shouldn't be adding additional stress. Yeah, let them play, man. Let them make mistakes. Let them have fun. Yeah, you know, let, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about with Indian clubs – especially when I watched your video of it, uh, folks at facebook.com slash coach for your podcast, um, <laughs> is this, the sense of flow you can have within Indian clubs. Right. And what I like about it is like, I can, you know, you can feel like, all right, this rep, I, you know, I turned the wrist too soon, this rep a little better. And then you just find it. And then the pace just starts to come up and you find a really good groove in it. Right. Uh, you know, the juggling that I've been doing with the kettlebells, so like you'll actually find because you flow, you know, it's like, uh, 
you don't feel that you're working as hard because right. you're actually enjoying it because you're literally separate from the idea of fitness get the trick. and you're in the movement. You're just trying to get the trick. It's skateboarding. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, sports, yeah. it's art, right? Like you don't care how nobody... many times your head bounces, man. You're up again. Like, fuck, I'm trying to get this Ollie flip trick thing. Dude, ah. I, I could still remember back in the autumn bowl, it used to be this <laughs> private skate park. I had a key to in, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, right? Like literally this place cost me two surgeries. Both my surgeries, <laughs> two separate, three years apart came from the same skate park. But like, I remember like, I always sucked at front side carbs. And I remember like trying to hit this grind, trying to hit this grind, falling, 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 falling. And uh, you know what? I eventually got it. And you know what I realized two days later, I fucking got knocked out at the bottom of it for a moment. Cause I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't remember getting up. And I had I, like, nobody said like, Oh my gosh, are you okay? I was just yeah. falling, but I was in a mission mode. Right. Not, I'm not saying like, that's the best self-preservation way. No, but, it's like, not. I, but- it wasn't, it wasn't about how tired I am. It wasn't about how did I feel. It was like, I was just living this moment to get this one thing yeah. until I got it. And then I did it. <laughs> I think sometimes there's risk involved. A ton of people now through the spirits have said, this is moving meditation that I can't ignore. Like I have to stay engaged. Mm-hmm. You don't get to sit in Zazen and fucking fall asleep with an Indian club in your hand. No. That thing will hit you in the face. I got a scar right now from like, I got a little, I don't know if you saw it on Sunday, but I whacked I did, myself I did. in the head thing, right? Now, um, did you go direct hit or did you do the club, club to club back, back hit? No, it clipped right in. <laughs> the last time Coming I remember through. I got like yeah. a Hellboy horn. Ah. Uh, you know, when they pass in the front and one hits the front, the lead one hits the behind. That's uh, the best, especially the rounded clubs, not the, uh, the teardrops, the teardrops, yeah. not the. Uh, no, I hit myself in the back of the head with my Kehoe club and, and took a knee. Uh, that three-pounder. Uh, <laughs> the inside of the knee and the inside of the elbow are my favorite spots to hit myself with. Uh, <laughs> and the all-time best is when you catch the tip of the, the Garden of Good and Evil on the way through the bottom. Uh, <laughs> that'll wake your day up. <laughs> you know, it's interesting with the, with the juggling. Sometimes, like, I'm getting these little, like, uh, you know, in skateboarding, we call them hot spots like on your heels yeah. from hitting i'm getting yeah. them on my fingertips or i'm getting these like little bruises and areas from like smacking my fingers into the bell at high school totally. uh, um but but uh, folks i want to stress this out too this is because this please listen to both episodes maybe even go back before you finish this one if you skip the first one is you know one of these things that i was thinking about today uh, you know i had your indian club video in our previous conversation in my head um i was just thinking about the state of flow a lot and, you know, again, I'm really having fun trying not just to like, can I catch this flip, but how smooth can I make this thing look? How complex of a pattern can I try to layer on these things? And I get yeah, how smooth now, you know, we were talking about the 70% rule, you know, about, you know, trying to trying to like 7% RPE of your max effort. But like, here's the thing. So for me, folks, like my physical outdoor activities outside of like playing with my kids really are training for me because like the kettlebell juggling, I'm not viewing that as my fitness. I know I'm getting fitness out of it, but it's something I like right. truly a thousand percent enjoy being outside and flipping kettlebells. Like, so I come back in. I'm way more tired than if you, if James just programmed me to do like five sets of 20 swings, I'm way more tired, but you know what? I've invested that extra energy into the thing that makes me happy versus we tend to put that into a state of a fitness program that's supposed to make us better at the outside, but then we're tired for the things that are supposed to make us happy outside. Right? So if we're training a martial artist, if they're too tired out of your program, you fuck them. They're supposed to get tired in their training program because they're loving it. Like they're, they're, they're martial arts training. 
That's the yeah. thing that you should be like expending those last little bouts of energy on, not in the strength program. This is my, my point of view. Training camps for fights and stuff are a little, little different, but I would even venture not that different. Um, but we tend to try to gas it all in the gym, not realizing that like this folks got to go and like they're going to go swimming. Let's they're going to go and play really, golf. Let's make this really meaningful for people. Most of us go to the gym because we want to look sexy inside our clothes so that somebody will think we're sexy enough to see us out of our clothes. True. Cool. If the stuff that I do in the gym makes me so tired and broken down and not moving because I'm so beat up because that killer workout that I don't have the physical literacy to not look like quasi fucking moto dragging my Gucci's across the floor. <laughs> no one's going to want to stick anything in me or let me stick anything in them. And that's the, like, that's the reality of it. Propagation of the species, food, clothing, shelter, warmth, companionship, right? All that stuff. Uh, at the baseline, we want to feel comfortable in our own skins so we can look other humans in the eye and interact with them because we need that. You know, we, I, I talked a little bit about this, that the four neurotransmitters we absolutely need, oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, and brain-derived neurotropic factor. And my joke is that you can get all of those in jiu-jitsu because a 30-second hug gives you lots of oxytocin. Mm -hmm. You can get tons of 30-second hugs in jiu-jitsu, I don't know if you're going to feel as good about them, but, you know, I like the jiu-jitsu struggle snuggle. Uh, I, I'm okay with hanging out in that environment. If the thing that we're doing to people is breaking them before we get them out of the door, they're not actually, yeah, it just, man, what, do you, do you, what, a, what a thing to do to somebody to tell them that the thing that makes them happy, that they love doing, that makes them feel good and that blows off the, the shit of the world is something that I'm going to take away from them. Yeah. Did you, do you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast at all? Oh, every day. Did every you day. listen to the Faraz Zahabi episode? Yeah. Check, check. So for folks, give this episode a, a, it's, a listen. It's worth listening to. Especially when they're talking about training. So Faraz Zahabi is George St. Pierre, MMA legend, UFC champion, uh, his trainer, longtime trainer. And he talks a lot. And, and George and him are on like even a, a probably. Uh, about was, was great. A less, a less intense version, even of, I think what we would describe as a 70% where, you know, you shouldn't be sore the next day during your strength training because you, you, the skill of your martial arts training is yeah. actually where you're supposed to be investing in. It's kind of like what we were just talking about now. Like I do think soreness comes, you learn a new move, you progress a little bit of a weight, like soreness comes and I'm okay with that, but I'm also not training somebody to be, you know, a high level champion where if they have extra fatigue, I might be fucking their skill training camp. Right. But it is finding that sweet spot where like, yeah, there's going to be times where you're going to try it, you know, test it a little bit. But we all, I think, overall tested too much. Now, the interesting thing on that episode of the show was, is like, you know, Rogan's had people that, you know, I know people love because they seem motivational who will go and like, you know, uh, for Cameron Haynes, I think it might have be, who, you know, was yeah. running a marathon a day or something day. for a while. But his body is fucked up. Right. So here's the thing. Like, do you want to push that hard? where you're in a perpetual mental struggle of getting in and out of pain, or do you just not try that hard, but you feel great, but you're never in that level of pain, right? So I think there's this thing of like, where we need to find and redefine how much, how much intensity does fitness really need? Because I think a lot of the times people think they're doing enough where they, they just don't realize how strong they already are. 
And I think as coaches, that's a great way to get buy-in when someone's like, I can't do that. And you put something in front of them and they sort of like, oh, that wasn't that hard. Like you just proved to themselves they're better than they thought they were. Fucking yeah. that's client retention right there. Dude, that's my favorite thing to show people their own true potential. Yeah. I mean, that is literally rather, a mission they, statement, core value of Mark Fisher Fitness. I'm sorry. I should say this different. Not to show them their true potential, to help them discover their own true potential. Because yeah. I don't show them shit. I don't show anybody anything. I let them do it themselves. Yeah. I'll ask for things and hope that it comes out right. And if it doesn't, I ask again in a different way. Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome way of, of putting it. But, you know, so I, I think there's that, that whole weird thing of, like, how hard should fitness be? And, you know, I'm doing a, a – by the time this comes out, I've done a, my first, like, bodyweight outdoor class in, in Prospect Park. Um, something I've been wanting to do. I don't do classes on the weekend. Some people have been asking, I don't want to bring fucking kettlebells to the park. So we're just going to do body weight. And one of the, one of the <laughs> members was like, yeah, I did this military one and they were yelling at us to do like all these burpees up and down this thing. And you know, the, the, the ground sucked and it was like, a, it was like really fucking fucking hard. And I'm like, how hard does it really need to be? You know what I mean? Like I just, guys, like we got to stop selling some of this false, like, yes, you might see short-term results quicker, but long-term probably not going to keep going back or you're going to get injured. And I don't mean like, uh, because of rando exercise selection, just at a certain point, general adaptation syndrome. Yeah. And I really wish that's the thing we can change. Like, I don't know if you get this, but sometimes somebody will be like, you know, I got your name off of uh, dragondoor.com or whatever website. And, uh, you know, I'm looking for a trainer that's going to really kick my ass and really fucking put me to task. And I'm like, I know my nickname's coach fury. I am fucking not that guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's so not me. So I do kind of a, an interesting intro for people. I, I assess them and then I scale them exactly the same way for everybody. Wherever you're at now, I'm going to take you just a little bit beyond that. Not much. We're going to go really slow. And the reason I do it is it's kind of my, my screening process for who, who I want to work with. And I say that that way because I don't want to work with everybody. Yeah. I don't want crazy people in my gym. I don't want people who are going to infect the other people around them with the idea that they are not already as fucking awesome as they could possibly be. Because they're human beings. We're amazing. We are incredible. We can adapt to anything. We will fill our environment as soon as we enter it. And we're the fucking apex predators on the planet for a reason, goddammit. <laughs> we, we got here for a reason, right? And it wasn't because we were good at hanging out at a keyboard. Yeah. It wasn't because we were good at getting those TPS reports in on time. That's not what made us the, the pinnacle of evolutionary processes on this planet. Whether Super there's other ones is a whole other question, which I'm willing to entertain. But <laughs> not germane to the context of the question. So, like, I want to show them that they've got this, this biological inheritance that that's theirs. They can really do amazing things because other people are also capable of it. That means they are as well. Now, how do we find the path to their amazing? What's their amazing? What do you want to do? Yeah. It's, it's, if you can convey that and, and it's, you know, it's funny how I think one of the things as coaches, when we all start out, we just want everybody, you know, cause it's like, we're just trying to make the buck in a way. And like we do, I think most coaches would say, wait, legitimately, we wish we could help. We could help the most amount of people. But like, yes. I'm going to be honest and, you know, like uh, there's some ideologies that I don't believe in and whatnot, 
um, that I'm like, you know what? I'm all right. Like there's other good trainers. You're going to be okay. I'm not your guy. That part of the headache, um, might not be worth it for me. You know, um, the other side of that is allowing it to be like, whatever your approach is, the James approach or my approach. Hey, you froze up there on me. You there? No, I'm I'm here. I'm here. I'm I'm looking something up. Your approach is, is, is probably going to be very different from mine. Although there's certainly going to be overlap just based on our discussion, you know, and, and just finding that moment for that individual to show them the way to realize that fucking they, they're not weak or they're not feeble or they're stuck or they're, you know, in decline and that there's still so much to progress towards. And whatever that might be, fitness is a gateway drug to getting better at everything in life, right? Like one of the things I loved about my time at MFF is you'd have people come in to technically lose weight and look hot naked. And then suddenly they'd quit their job because they knew that they hated their job. They'd come out of the closet. Like they would just literally be like, you know, I need to start motivating my life. Dude, they figure out what they're capable of and all of a sudden shit's safe for them. Because here's the thing, you reinstate, fitness reinstates hope right? Like it really does. Like when someone starts to feel strong, it's agency, you start to walk taller. Like one of the things I will openly admit that I love about the steel mace is no matter how like strenuous or my workout was, (laughs) I feel tall, like when and open when I'm done. Like, so even if I've done like a a snatch test and I go do like, you know, some, some three sixties with the mace, like I'm walking down that street feeling great. And I'm not in an ego way, not in a check me out. You swing a mace around after 20 minutes, you feel like fucking Vishnu walking the battlefields. Yeah, it's just a wonderful <laughs> feeling. And, I, and, and, and it has carryover. Like, I feel like my posture is improving. Now, mind you, my whole training program fosters towards that. So when we're talking about, like, you know, uh, eye tracking, like, you know, we're, we're, we're using different implements to some degree to do the same things. Like kettlebell yeah. juggling, my vestibular system is on fucking crack, meth, speed, steroids doing the kettlebell juggling. So not only am I getting this metabolic and I'm getting this hand eye thing, I'm getting my reaction time. Um, I'm starting to get that spidey sense where I can start to see the bell move slower in the air. Right. But then I'm doing stuff like get ups and presses and whatnot that are also just strengthening all my stabilizers, building max strength, you know, uh, super refined movement. But I'm, I'm also only doing maybe a total of, nine movements throughout the course of the week total not in a workout like maybe nine movements total and that's all i'm focusing on because you know the other thing my brain doesn't need it doesn't need like uh, a shitload of like how many exercises am i doing today um or this week because again if you're going to go rolling in you know jujitsu like that's where you're going to have to process more uh yeah so it's just interesting and i just want to feel good walking down the street or picking my kid up you know like that's it I also want to be able to defend myself against the 230-pound black belt that's at the club <laughs> that moves like a goddamn panther. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm not, I do miss those situations. Like, it's been a long time since I've invested Muay Thai time, and, and I, I do miss that level of, of like, a, awareness of myself. And I don't mean in a self-defense bully way. I, I just mean oh, it. Totally. There is something to be said when you're just sort of like, you recognize your position in the universe. <laughs> yeah. You know, when it's that whole idea, like anybody, any good martial artist, who's like a coach, like you want to train with people that are better than you, as opposed to people that are on par, par or lesser, because you're only going to get better by failing and trying to overcome as opposed can, to. Can I read something regard. real quick? Can I yeah, read something please. real quick? This is from her, uh, 
Heraclitus, Heraclitus, whatever, some Greek dude, uh, speaking to the client idea, but also to trainers. Uh, there's a quote that goes, out of every 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters. And we're lucky to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, but that one, one is a warrior, and he will bring all the others back, right? That's I've, my I've client. Heard, I've, I've That's my that ideal before. client. I want that person. But yeah. I don't want them walking in my door. I want them walking out that person. Yeah. I want to help them discover that thing inside themselves that makes them the one that brings everyone else home. How do I convey that to people? How do I get that over to them? How do I create an environment where it's okay for them to fail as fast as possible in a safe and constructive way so that they can become the one that brings everyone home? You know what? I'm going to bring this full circle right now. So, you know, we've discovered that we have a very good uh, way of firing each other up on these conversations. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I want to take this back to your comment about imposter syndrome. You know why you don't need to worry about imposter syndrome? Because your fucking passion when you say those words at the end is fucking real, dude. Like, I, you know, <laughs> folks, I'm hoping this comes through and I'm sure it will it, it, just by the vocals on this. But I'm seeing his face. He's fucking fired up about this. And that's you know, I go through these rants, you know, um, you know, you, you have your, you know, how you have an anecdotal thing. Like I'll, I have a pretty fun environment and I, I'll go on like little rants, like fury soapbox yeah. moments, I call them. And, and, and this is what it's all about. Like, you know, at the end of the day, like I need to make money cause I have kids and I have a wife and I live in an expensive neighborhood. But if I were just looking to make money, there's other shit that I could be doing to make more money. Yeah. What James and I are doing and, and with the fitness population, the, the majority that I would like to align myself with is we're trying to make a living helping people and instilling hope, letting them walk prouder, letting them have extra years on their life, letting them get laid, having them walk a little taller, uh, spending a little more time with their kids, right? Whatever it might be, that's what we do. Helping to keep them out of the fucking hospital at a doctor's office. Cause like, let's never like forget that aspect of being healthy. It's like part of it. And it's just like talking to you and like, uh, again, grateful for all the people that have come on this podcast. Like it fires me up and like, just to keep doing what we're doing. So right? folks, so all the trainers listening, if you're really going through the struggle and let's be honest, folks, you, a lot of us are going through the struggle. I know it. I don't know any, I don't know many rich trainers. I know a lot of people that would like you to think that they're rich trainers. But like, I know a lot of us are still fucking, you know, quote unquote on the hustle. I don't really love the term hustling. Um, but like, you're not alone. And if you're feeling that shit, like, fuck that. Like, if you actively want to help people and get better at helping people in the realm of strength and conditioning or physical therapy, like, just fucking keep doing it. And don't, don't worry about like, how many likes you get, what somebody like a competitor, social media, how many followers they have. Just keep doing you because you're going to find the person that James is looking for, your version of that person. You're going to find the version of the person that I'm looking for, the Fury Crew member. You're going to find your version of that and just find your tribe. That's it, right? You don't want a million people. You want a hundred that will go to war for you because you've proven their worth, right? For themselves, not to me. Nobody needs me to feel they're worthy. Nobody. They need to feel that for themselves. Yeah, dude, I just... it's such a big thing for me to let people become the people they should be, not the people they got shoved into, not the fucking person they have to be when they leave the door with their clothes on to go to work, not the person they have to fucking 
B, when they're standing there listening to their boss talk down to them or whatever shit they have to eat through the day just to go home and hang out with their families. Like, dude, you're a fucking parent. You know there's days when you got to take a big bite out of a shit sandwich because that's what puts food on the table for your yep. family. And fuck it. Put some hot sauce on it, man. Eat it like a drill sergeant's crawling up your ass. Like, just smile. Ask for seconds, right? But no, I don't want everybody to do that all the time. I want them to be able to occasionally look their boss in the eye and be like, you know what? Nah, man, I'm cool. I'm not doing that today. (laughs) I think there's that that line where... There are life situations where you just have to, right? Like if this is your gig and it is the only viable way that you're going to put the, the baseline of food and shelter in your life, like that is like one thing, right? Yeah. Then there's the other one though, where we build our own traps, where, you know, you've worked hard enough in a career where you have your house, you have your relationship, you have your whatever. And now you're in a place that you don't like, but like by all intended purposes, purposes of society, this is supposed to be the thing. And, and what happens if I don't have all these things? And if you're unhappy in life, it is too fucking short. You, you have to make some of those changes because, you know, I still look back. I still get shocked like every day in a way. And folks, I don't mean this like I'm old, like, but like when I think about how much time has passed in things that I, I still remember very clearly from the 90s, like or, or high school, it's all going way too fucking fast. And <laughs> if you're miserable now, and you wait another five years, that is five years of potential happiness you've missed out on or five years of maybe it got worse. Who knows? But at least you'll Roll know as opposed to like, what's the fucking Roll the dice. It's, uh, you know, Pressfield and the Art of War is probably like the most yeah. important book that I've... The War of Art. The War, War of Art, that's it. It's one of the most important. And it's like that which you're afraid of is... I'm, I'm messing this quote up, but that which you fear is the direction you should travel. Now, that doesn't mean just go run off a bridge and hope you can fly. But it's like, I really wanted to try this trainer thing, but I was too afraid to do it because of all the stuff I'd give up. We're doing a disservice potentially to the world around us. Like if you wanted to be an actor or a painter, and but you have a, 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 an accounting gig that you hate, but like who knows if you're going to make money as a painter, doesn't mean you can't paint, but a lot of people just stop painting. Who, but like maybe there is something in you that like that art is like the Bill and Ted song that changes the universe <laughs> and, and has a massive impact, right? Like you just never know. And, and you know, I would like to think, you know, as a, as a coach, you know, all the stuff that I gave up, like I will go, if, if I were to like, you know, if, if, if this, my roof collapsed on me right now, I will be able to say from the people that have directly taught in classes and personal training closer to me, I've had a lot of a positive impact on more than I haven't take that to the classes and courses that I've taught and the trainers that have come to those or that I've assisted at, I will have had a positive impact on a lot of people in some small way. And I'm not trying to take glory from that at all. I had stayed in visual effects. None of that ripple effect would be there. Yeah. The the legacy we get is what our, what feelings we make the memories that other people have of us. That's the only fucking thing that's going to be left. And that's going to fade when they die. Oh, yeah, it's really... We might get three rings of association before people, like, don't care about us anymore. Yeah, and it's all going to fade. You know what I mean, too? It's like, you know, like, it, it, it all fades. <laughs> Let's like, dive heavy into the nihilism. Yeah, <laughs> but, but if you stay... Well, it's actually, for me, it's like, actually, the, the thing that I'm trying to do more now is... 
you know, I have long-term goals, but I'm really trying to embrace the moment and like what's happening in the now. I'm trying not to stress about what, what's coming up and I'm trying to deal with the now. Now it's hard with like kids and workshop life, but I like really trying to really embrace the moment. Like this moment that you and I are having a fucking conversation um, from across the country that I'm like loving talking, you know, uh, right, right. but that I'm in this like, you know, six and a half, seven years ago when my marriage ended and I was like couch surfing that now I have a, a fucking great apartment. You know, it's not a fancy apartment, but it's got a lot of room big enough that I can train people in it. And I got a wall of Godzilla toys behind me that I love dearly. Now that might sound shallow, but like, it makes me happy. No, that's brilliant. You know, but like, so, so just to be like here where I am now, I can look at things like, I wish I could open a space. I wish I had more money. I wish I was 20 pounds lighter. I wish I didn't have this thyroid shit. But the bottom line is, man, in this moment right now, you know what? Like, my life is fucking great right now. And <laughs> because I've, I've risked a lot and made a lot of trial and errors. Like, if you, when I left Mark Fisher Fitness with a business model that I thought I had in my head to where it is now, it's totally different. It's totally different. I was going to be, you know, an, a, an online guy with a few clients. And now I'm a class guy with a few clients and some online guys. Because you know what? It wasn't because I couldn't get online clients. It's because I realized that a certain number, I don't like doing it. Um, sure. I'm also not following the trend of online coaching. I've always had online coaching. I've just grown <laughs> it out a little bit. I've been doing it for years um, before Instagram ever came out. So you mean you're not tell me your money-making ideas and how to do online coaching? Make a no, but if you cut and paste the dialogue from this podcast, you will get zero. <laughs> <laughs> but just allowing myself to be in the moment now of that I, th I think is very important so the, the biggest things that i'm trying to do is a leap is like how can i be in the moment more right and then also i i'm actively you know been trying to like how can i continue to, to diminish my ego because that does get in the way sometimes where i'm like sometimes Dude. it creeps in my head like how am i not uh, making yeah. more money when i have all these fucking titles and i've traveled the world but it's like, you know what? That's not a real thing. Like, I'm just another dude trying to help other people. Like you said, we're all the same. I have a skill set I want to share. And I'm realizing I just want to be the best trainer in the neighborhood to help the neighborhood. When I go to a course, I want to do the best job I can for that course for the people that have spent money and time and training to be there. Even though most people in our industry enter it from the aspect of Flip, probably flipped a coin to see what was going to come up, bartender or trainer. That's a huge percentage. Once they get in there, if they stick it out and they make it more than a year, they legitimately probably want to help people. Like they're in it to, to cause you figure out real quick, 22, five as the average isn't a lot of money and it's hard to pay your bills. So whatever people want to take from that. And we don't get days off. We don't get to be sick. We don't get fucking vacations. Um, our our time is all dictated by our clients <laughs> you know until you get to a certain comfort level with your training and like i don't i don't discount the idea that the people that sh that maybe aren't doing fitness in a way that i feel is oh man i forgot i got kickboxing right now wait a minute what time is it what time is it baby shit it's going to be uh, 11.30 your time. Okay, we're good. We're good. I got 30 minutes. Uh, <laughs> it's like, man, I should probably be at the gym showing people what to do. Uh, time goes fast talking to you, man. Dude, anyway, I know, I know. Uh, it's been over an I, hour already. I fully, I'm fully cognizant that most of the people are legitimately in it to help people become better. Now, what better is for each individual, I don't know. 
and I try to help them all discover that on their own. Uh, yeah, I, I, I am encouraged by the people that I meet when I go to these clinics and teach because the people that are showing up, they're like us. They want to see people do better. That's why they're doing it. And they want to be the best they can be. That's why they're educating themselves. And they're trusting. I, I fucking, I'm honored and humbled that they would trust me to give them insight into how to do that. Yeah. Uh, and I try as hard as I can to meet that standard and to maintain it, but also elevate it. Uh, and I want my coaches to hold me accountable. I want the people that I teach to look me in the eye and say, you could have done this better. And then I, as a person, have to accept that and honestly examine it and then make a decision. Do I raise the standard or do I accept mediocrity? What level of mediocrity are you willing to accept? Because me? Eh, yeah, I don't know. None. <laughs> you know, I, I read all my evals uh, on the way home from whatever course that I teach. And I take them to heart. And sometimes it hurts. I mean, I'll, I'll, I got this isn't a brag. Normally, they're all very good. Usually, if there's an issue, it's uh, space related. It's usually like, you know, like, I wish the space was bigger. I wish whatever, more bathrooms, whatever. Yeah. But like, you know, every now and then a comment comes by and you're like, man, I, I don't like, I don't know. I don't always necessarily agree with it. Right. But, but that was their experience. Yeah. And, and it bums me out. And I go like, OK, how can I address where like that question won't be? Flip side of this, you realize that you're going to teach enough rooms and you're not going to win everybody all the time. Yeah. There's going to be somebody that you don't know what kind of, just like in, in client life, in any life, you don't know what kind of day, they week, month they've been having. Totally. You don't, you don't know what they're bringing into the room with them, right? So I tend to think of a lot of like Brene Brown-ish about this, where like, you know what, we're all just doing the best we can. <laughs> right, and right. Someone, someone's going to write their own shitty story. You know, I mentioned this on, a, on an older podcast, I think. I had a woman who was like an apparently a very experienced trainer who took classes with me. And I like to put things in a warm up that will down the line lead to a movement coming up. So like, you know, uh, a half open kneeling windmill, you know, without a kettlebell starts to prep somebody towards that part of the getup and sure, it's sure. a warm up move. So person wasn't doing it in the class. And I asked her to try to like, Hey, if you can reposition here. And she's like, no, that's not. And I was like, look, I don't, I don't want to be a douche about it, but I'd really love it if you could try this. And it turned into like a 10 minute me getting yelled at basically conversation at the end of the class, how I stepped on her private space and you know, uh, her authentic self. And I was like, but your authentic self sucks. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it too. I'm like, I, I think this, you know, this is the funny thing. When someone tries to throw terminology like authentic self, I think yeah. they're looking at me as like my nickname's Fury. I'm covered with tattoo shaped head. They're not looking at me as like I'm the guy that just spent like, a, you know, three and a half years at Mark Fisher Fitness going through all of this stuff and, and my own right. self-development. I'm like, well, versus like, and she's like, you know, I'm a trainer too. I'm like, well, clearly if you're this broken down, whatever you have been doing has not been Why are you, working. Why are you seeing me? So why not invest in this? And, you know, she would do her own shit all the time. And I want to help, but there's a certain point where, like, you know, she's no. also like, you know, I told you I had some injuries. I'm like, but you never show up for warm-ups. And Dude, I wasn't I in a situation of my own leadership where I could be like, get the fuck out because I was working at a gym. And, you know, those are the things that are, are you know. I had a woman take over one of my classes, a kettlebell class. She takes another two people and starts doing yoga in the corner. What the fuck? And I'm like, hey come back over here. This is a group class. You can't do your own thing. 
but but that is what's one of the driving that that was an experience in particular that's like you know i don't want to be in a class pass situation i want to be in a smaller group environment where i have more control i don't have onboarding per se because a lot of the people here bring like a friend in to try a class and i just i i can move response regress progress quick enough that like everyone's safe and getting a good experience um but you know when you mentioned like we're dictated by our clients hours like i'm trying very hard actually to just I might lose money because I'm just not going to work certain hours. Like I've decided, you know, I'm only going to get up super early to, to go do business. You're willing to accept mediocrity. Huh? You're not willing to accept mediocrity. Not, uh, uh, the impact that has on my quality of life, if I can maintain and have faith that it's going to continue to grow at the level that it is, which I do slow growth. Um, I know what it's like to wake up at four thirty-five AM countless days for years um, I know what that feeling is like to try to go and hustle and take a 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. nap so you can be back at 5.30, 6.30. I don't want to do that. And that's not saying any other trainer is doing wrong. I've just put my hours in that. And I see the impact it has on my well-being, physical and mental well-being, the impact it has on my wife and the impact it has on my kids. And quite frankly, like they're the first. The greatest year of teaching workshops for me was 2016. In that summer, I went through fucking two continents, um, three cities within a six-week period. Like not even like three week period. Like I literally went to Australia, came back to the state, taught two workshops, came back to the States and taught uh, two workshops, two weekends back to back. So Perth, Australia, OS, DVRT, flew back out three days later, right? Finished DVRT, flew back in three days later, went to, drove to Maine, taught in Maine, left from Maine straight to uh, Clifton Park, New York, taught there, came home, right? And it was great. I did all this stuff. That, I was like, I'm fucking Henry Rollins. I'm traveling. I'm doing it. Right. Get man. But you know what? At the end of that summer, it was over so quick. My kids were like, where's, where's my dad? You know, and I won't do that again. And you know what? I see the impact on my finances. But you know what? I see the smiles on my kids' faces. I could still put the food on the table, right? I don't need to eat the, eat the shit sandwich yet. It might be down the line. But like yeah. right now, I just have this belief that like I've, I've sculpted something, crafting something that is manageable for my life if I can grow it. So you I'm just cool. fucking seeding and watering it and make it grow. When our clients see us doing that and they realize that, oh, these guys actually organize their own lives. They have autonomy. Maybe I can have autonomy. Maybe I don't give up my job, but I, I take a little more because I know I'm strong enough to... You know, maybe I get a little autonomy, agency and consent. We talked a lot about agency and consent in, in the, I do a little talk about coaching and how to coach. Uh, Cause I don't think there's enough coach development in our industry. I give people resources, some books to read, some ideas to follow. Um, and it was something you said a little while back. Have you, you've read book of five rings? A long time ago. Yes. Uh, you ever read the Hagakuri? A long time ago. I, went, I, I, was, uh, I took a lot of Eastern philosophy classes in college. So the Hagakuri, right, it opens up with that bit about uh, you should, the samurai should spend uh, every waking moment of their day, not only in service of their Lord, but contemplating their death in service of their Lord in as many ways possible with as much detail as possible. You know, just savaged by, by donkeys, run off a cliff, something, right? As many ways as you can go about it. And then Marcus Aurelius... Uh, meditations, Marcus Aurelius mm -hmm. meditations. These are books that I used to read every day for years, and I still pick them up and go through them. Uh, I've got them on my. I've got. I've got uh, meditations right? on my phone. Yep. Yeah, every day. You know, what is it? What is? What am I? What is my nature? What is it? What is its nature? What is the relation to the whole? How does this relate to that? Blah blah blah. Uh, 
like, I, I try to, I try to get people on board with that kind of stuff. That idea that we're mortal, we're trying to get better, do the best you can, do it every day. Don't do it so much that you can't get up and do it again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Right. Entertain yourself, go to the movies, fucking hang out with your wife, your kids, your friends, your dog, whatever it is you like to do. Who cares if people think it's, it's weird. You want to be a furry, go fucking nuts, man. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, you like Godzilla? Rock the fuck on. Godzilla's awesome. If you don't think so, that's cool. I'm not going to shit on you because you don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> As, uh, again, folks, if you can see them, uh, the back behind me is loaded with my Godzilla collection. You know, it's brilliant. Uh, I, I, I like shitty 80s movies and, and crazy punk rock and like really weird, dark, super creepy humor because uh, it reminds me that I'm a human being. And it, it brings into sharp relief the fucking pit of despair that life can be. And you look into it and go, ah, I don't know. It's all for nothing. Yeah, you're right. It is. So make the best of it now. Do what you can. But yeah, that, that is, you know, the commonality that no matter what we're into, you know, we're all trying to get through. We're right? all damaged in our own oh, way. Oh, God. Brazil, when he gets in the elevator. We're all in this together, J.H. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's just, you know, if we could accept that, and when we try to, like, when we look at somebody who's got the house, the car, the looks, and we project on whatever they're going, you know what? They're fucking probably unhappy, too. And when you realize that, maybe we can actually start on, like, helping each other be happier as opposed to, like, false pretense. And social media, so, you know, I think that's making it much worse because I think especially we're seeing a lot of false idols, you know, popping up. Um, it, it promotes psychopathy. Yeah, it really does. Uh, you know, anyway, <laughs> you got to go. Hey, one more yeah, time. Go down to the gym, man. T- tell these folks to die mighty. Fucking die mighty. Please <laughs> die mighty. <laughs> Dude, we're going to have to do like a live <laughs> episode down the line. Uh, we didn't even get to talk about punk rock and all that stuff. But yeah, thank you for coming on. Ah, man, thank you for having me again. I love Steve. you, brother. I, keep, keep getting better you, like man. I know you will. And, I'm, uh, I'm just super glad that there's people like you out there and that you're, you're finding people that are uh, actively trying to make it better and you're putting them up in front of the public and giving them a place to, to get their message out, man. I wicked appreciate it. I super respect that. Thank you. Thank you, man. And in the, as uh, Swayze said to Demi Moore and Ghost, ditto. all right everybody thank you very much for listening uh james our our second two-parter ever uh have a good one brother the coach fury podcast is created owned and produced by steve coach fury hollander for fury industries llc music provided by the ftw visit the ftw.nyc for band tour music and merch info artwork created by glenn gurrieta Visit glengurrieta.com, that's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A, or follow him on Instagram at glengurrieta. Voice over by Laura Palmer. <laughs>